this sermon, I, I was in with Debbie. We were in Every Nation's uh, Leadership Conference this, uh, I think it was in July. And uh, Steve Merle, who's the president of Every Nation Churches and Ministries, he gave a talk. And I liked it so much. I says, hey, can I steal that from you? And so uh, somehow between the stuff that he did and some stuff that I'm going to add will be today's sermon. Let me begin by telling you, when I was, I, I've been in vocational ministry now for about uh, 28 years, I think. <clears throat> and when I was first hired, I was hired as the small group pastor. So uh, back in a church called Burnaby Christian Fellowship, uh, just an amazing church. And I think that when I started, there was about, there was under 10 small groups in the church. And then in about a year or two, there was about 40 groups, which was really great, and it looked good on my resume. And here's what I noticed, though, is that I put in a whack of work. Uh, just as, as hard as I could work, I created a newsletter, met with all these uh, small group leaders, met with people who were potential leaders. Everything was on me. And small group ministry went as well as I was doing. There was really little else going on. And what this caused me to do was to ask the question, how do we multiply God's love beyond ourselves? One of the things that we talk about in our church is something called the discipleship movement. And how do we see the, the salvation that we sang about today the love of God that's transformed our hearts, how do we see that multiply beyond ourselves? I'd like to give three historical examples of things that went well and not so well. Uh, the first is from the 18th century, and it's probably the two greatest spiritual leaders in that century. Their name was George Whitfield and John Wesley. Looking first at George Whitfield. He's probably one of the greatest preachers in history. A total of 10 million people heard him speak. He preached to almost every town in England, Scotland, and Wales. And in uh, London's Hyde's Park, he preached to 80,000 people without any amplification, which seems like a bit of a trick. He visited the United States seven times. And during those seven times, 80% of Americans heard him preach. Ben Franklin estimates that 30,000 people could hear him clearly just by him speaking. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. Listen to what J.C. Ralph says about him. He obtained a degree of popularity such as no preacher before or since has ever reached. No preacher has ever been so universally popular in every country he visited. No preacher has ever retained his hold on his hearers so entirely as he did for 34 years. Not the same person listening every day. His popularity never wanted. It was as great at the end of his days as it was at the beginning. That's George Whitfield. Now look at John Wesley. He was a good preacher, but he wasn't nearly as great as Whitfield. He rode 40,000 kilometers on horseback preaching the gospel. He preached 42,000 sermons, published 200 books, 23 hymnals, 5,000 tracts. All the proceeds of those things 
went back into the ministry. At his death in 1971, he saw around him were raised up 500 preachers and uh, 115,000 members. That's in his lifetime. He birthed what is now called the Methodist Church or the Wesleyans. They're now in 132 nations with 75 million members. Plus, uh, coming out of that is 600 million Pentecostals, Charismatics, and other denominations, including every nation. We would trace our history back to him. Incredible. At the end of his life, this is what Whitfield said of Wesley. My brother Wesley acted more wisely than I. The souls that were awakened under his ministry, he joined in small groups and thus preserved the fruit of his labors. This I neglected, and my people are a rope of sand. What's the difference? Whitfield built moments. Wesley built a movement. Let's now look at uh, two women in the 20th century who were considered the greatest female healing evangelists, Catherine Coleman and Amy Semple McPherson. I had an opportunity to be in a Catherine Coleman meeting. My father had multiple sclerosis. We lived in Port Alberni, and I remember us traveling to Vancouver to go to one of her healing revival meetings. And uh, it was a spectacle, let me tell you. <clears throat> Catherine Coleman conducted healing crusades globally for 43 years. From 1940 to 1970, she was one of the most famous ministers in the world. Two million people were healed in her ministry. Two million people. Not just came to hear her, but were actually healed. I remember watching... Uh, people with wheelchairs and get up out of their wheelchairs, the blind seeing. It was absolutely incredible. I'd never seen anything like that before, or since, actually. <clears throat> she died in 1976, and her evangelistic foundation died a few years later. Now, Amy Semple McPherson. She pastored one of the first American megachurches, uh, the Sunday p.m. service was one of the most difficult tickets in L.A. to get. You actually had to get a ticket to go to church, and it was hard to get that ticket. Can you imagine? In the 1920s, her name was on the front pages of U.S. newspapers at least three times a week. So imagine a healing evangelist uh, three times a week being on the front page of a local newspaper. Her funeral in 1944 drew 50,000 people. Despite, and this is what her life was like, despite her failed marriages, shameless self-promotion, financial impropriety and scandals, the institution she founded outlived her, and it's called the Foursquare Church. And we have some here in the Lower Mainland. Currently, there are 88,000 licensed members of the Foursquare Church, serving nine million members. In 70, no, yeah, in 70,000 churches in 144 nations. 
In 2016, they reported over 2.5 million salvations. What's the difference? You can see this now. What's the difference between Coleman and McPherson? Coleman created moments. McPherson built a movement. Let me give you one last example in our lifetime. Billy Graham, born in 1918, died just this year, 99 years old. In 1944, he was the first staff for Young Life. Besides Young Life, there are five institutions he founded or co-founded. The first was in 1950, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. He had uh, held over 417 mass crusades in 185 nations, with 210 million people attending those crusades. I mean, these are staggering numbers, Billy Graham. <clears throat> can you see these pictures? Can you go back one? Look at that. That's somebody preaching. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, in 1951, he founded the Worldwide Pictures, and they produced over 125 evangelistic films. In 1956, he started Christianity Today magazine that has 2.5 million monthly subscribers. And in 1969, he helped found Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, which is still one of the most uh, prestigious seminaries in the world. They've graduated over 10,000 people ministering all over the world. In 1979, he started something called the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, along with World Vision, which accredits over 2,100 ministries worth $25 billion in revenue. Uh, every nation is one of those ministries. He started a movement. He started something that was bigger than himself. So what about our church meeting in South Vancouver? What about Every Nation Vancouver? Are we a moment or are we a movement? And this is the question that we need to ask ourselves as we look forward, not just to this fall, but to the coming years. Is this going to be a moment? Uh, if you decided maybe this is your first time here and you thought that you'd show up for a moment and that you would show up to see whether there's something interesting going on here and, uh, you know, if the, if the preaching is okay and and the worship is good, I'll, I'll stay for another moment. But really, that's about as deeply as my commitment will run. But what you need to know about our church community is that we're interested in being part of a movement, not just a moment. To begin, we are part of a movement called Every Nation Churches and Ministries, founded in 1994, which is an incredibly young movement. You can see now that we've reached... Uh, 78 nations since 1994. And the, the slogan in every nation is every nation in our generation. We're believing that before we pass on, that that whole, it's gone so fast, uh, that every, um, that that whole world will be blue not because we think that we're better than anybody else, but we think we have the same mandate as everyone else to reach every nation in our generation. What about in terms of our own church community? 
Our church was founded on a vision statement or, or a mission statement that's to multiply disciples who love God, one another, and the world. Uh, that has always been the thing that defines us, that we want to multiply disciples. And it's for a very simple reason. We can't contain what God has put inside of our hearts. The way our church started, Debbie and I, we had uh, resigned from our previous church, Burnaby Christian Fellowship. Incredibly painful decision. I think one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make in my life. I love that church. Still do. Uh, but we knew that God was calling us on. And we also knew that we wanted to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We didn't want to be an independent church. And so we went, we had uh, one couple that we knew that we were going through a difficult time. We reached out to them. We thought they were living in Calgary. It turned out they had moved to Nashville and were part of this new movement called Morningstar. That's what every nation was called back then. And so just out of a desire for pastoral care, we reached out to them. And they said, you know, hey, we've, we we're part of this new movement, and we'd like you to consider being a part of this. And so they flew us down to Nashville, and it just so happened that the leadership team was meeting there. It's where the headquarters was, was meeting there. And so I didn't realize it, but I was candidating to be a pastor in every nation. I just showed up to the meeting, and they said, tell us your story. And so I remember telling them uh, what God had planted in our heart. And with tears, I told them that it's not right that the gospel would be restricted to a few that every person in this city has the right to hear the good news of the gospel. And we want to play our part in that. We want to reach a whole city. We don't want a church of thousands. We would like to see 2.5, whatever it is now, million people reached in this city with the good news of the gospel. And we want to be a part of that. And then we want it to stretch beyond us into the nations. Because there's no way, there's no way that we should know that good news and not have everyone else hear it as well. It's not right. So the story goes that we were the only uh, people that were ever accepted on the spot. And uh, it's been a fantastic journey ever since. We want to be a multicultural, multi-generational community of faith. We don't just want to make disciples and make disciples, so that motivates us. We want each one of you here to have a dynamic living relationship with God. I'm just uh, listening to a, a CD. You know what those are? I don't know if you've seen them before. They're super cool. You plug them in and sound comes out. <clears throat> and uh, I don't know why we have a CD. But we, anyways, uh, uh, with uh, Graham Cook. I don't know if any of you have heard of him. I love the heart of this guy as much as I love the words. And I've listened to it now a number of times. And what he talks about is the uh, life-changing reality of delighting in God. Delighting in God. I just, I am, I've become mesmerized by the word delight. If, uh, if you were to describe your relationship with God, would you use that word? 
What a powerful way to discern whether you've actually met with God or not. If delight isn't the product, you may be passed by him. You didn't see him. Because if you saw him, delight would be the appropriate word to describe an encounter with the living God. And I have a hunch that when the delight of God transforms us, making disciples who make disciples is really a non-issue. It's really a non-issue. And so what our church, even though we talk a lot about outreach, not so much from the pulpit, but from in our small groups, uh, what's really behind all of that is knowing God and being known by Him. So we have this vision <clears throat> to multiply disciples who love God, one another in the world. Um, when we... I'm trying to say this in a way that I, I, this was from private conversations, so I'm trying to cloak who said these things. But uh, Christian leaders in Canada who know way more about these things than I do say they don't know of an example in Canada of a church where you make disciples, not me. I mean, I got to do it too because I'm part of this church but where you would lead somebody to Jesus, who would lead somebody to Jesus, who would lead somebody to Jesus. You guys, they don't have an example of that in our nation. Nobody's doing that. Nobody. The best that they can find are alpha groups where you invite somebody to hear Nikki Gumbel, you become a Christian, and then you invite your friend to hear Nikki Gumbel, which is great. I mean, that's just, that's the best we got, which is pretty great. But it's not regular people having the faith and love to tell their friends in the power of the Holy Spirit that they would see their friends in their friends. That's not happening in our nation. I'm sorry, that's not right. That's not right. As a leadership team, we have made a decision, and I, I hope it's okay with you. We didn't really ask, so maybe I should ask now. But uh, we've made a decision that we are not going to build an attractional church let me explain that. Uh, we hope that when you come on a Sunday, it will, it will be attractive to you, we, for sure, because we want to serve you. We love you. But we're not going to build. Our high watermark is not a church of 500 or 5,000. That is not our high watermark. In a city of two and a half million, what's the largest church right now? How big are they about-ish? 7,000 people. Isn't that amazing? 2.5 million left to go. Because it's, it's still building around a group of people coming together to hear somebody talk. There's, no, there's just no way 
everybody can hear with that model. And so those of you who have been around for a while, I just can't tell you how humbled I am to do this with you, that you would decide to sign up for something that isn't working anywhere in our whole nation. And still, somehow, the Spirit of God has struck your heart in such a way that you go, that's, that's the right goal. That's the, that's the right thing to sign up for. And so, uh, you just need to know that it's hard on me to not try to build a crowd. It would be outstanding for my ego. You have no idea how much I would enjoy that. But almost useless for expanding the gospel. And so we started this church, um, how long ago was it? I don't remember. What, 18 years ago? Right. Started this church 18 years ago. I'm really good with numbers if you don't know me. And, uh, and um, we're only going to grow as fast as we do. We have no plan B. We're not going to keep chugging along, and then you guys just aren't going to get it. You know? And then, well, forget you guys. Let's just put on a show, see if you can collect some people. That's, as, far as, as long as I'm going to be around, that's not going to happen. We're going to grow as fast as we do, as we take this heart and multiply it. That's our grand strategy. And it's, it's all I know. I've read way too many books on church growth and leadership. And it, every time I come back to this idea, you being overwhelmed with the love of God, needing to share that with your friends. So how can we do the impossible? Nobody else is doing this. How can we do it? First Chronicles 22, verses 5 to 6 says this. This is about David, King David, and his son Solomon. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. So the nations were going to want to come to see the glory of the Lord. But the problem is, uh, I can't get this temple built in my lifetime, and so I need to hand it off to a young and inexperienced son. Therefore, I'll make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. Incredible. Our job is to make preparations and provisions for future generations. Uh, I remember when I was, I, I had, I've had this vision for decades, and so I'm in my 30s, and I'm feeling pretty good. And then, you know, 40s, and it's like, oh, still got a couple years. And then now I'm 57, I go, nuts. 57, sick. Now what am I going to do? Oh, I know what we've always done. Invest in you. Now, no offense, 
but you're young and inexperienced. You know, I'm old and inexperienced, but uh, I've settled in my heart that my dreams aren't going to be fulfilled in my lifetime. I need you. I would venture to say that you might need your leaders as well. We need each other. So we would like to prepare three things for you, and this is what we'll close in. I won't spend long. We'd like to prepare, as the leaders of this church, three things for you. The first is a message. When I became a Christian, my brother led me to Christ sitting in the back row, uh, joined a church, great church, and what I heard growing up, this is the, this is the good news, the Christian message. Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins. That's a great message. And uh, all I knew was that if I had a problem in my life, I had to feel more forgiven. And if somebody else had a problem in their life, they needed to feel more forgiven. I didn't know about relationship with God. I didn't know about the love of God, except that he forgave my sins. I didn't know about the grace and powering of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know about any of those things. I am super grateful for the message that was given me. And over the years, we've been studying our Bibles, trying to give you an even better message. Not an extra biblical message, something that's even truer to Scripture. And we've come up with a little, with a little phrase to try to summarize this. And it's called relational theology. Not super sexy, but it's the best we got. And the idea is, is that uh, from start to finish, this is the story of God wanting to be our God and us being his people. We'll find fulfillment. Revelation 21 will find fulfillment. That there will come a day when there will be a people who will walk with the living God. Incredible. Walking with God, and he will walk among us. This message has captivated our hearts. It's all I think about. The gospel has come to transform our relationships, first with God and then with others. This is the good news. So we've tried to prepare for you to the best of our ability a truer gospel that has the ability to transform lives and perhaps even more importantly, to transform relationships. The second thing that we hope to give is a heart of mission. A heart of mission. Now, this is really tricky. How do you give away a heart for something? How do, you, how do you start? How do you start? This is far and away the most difficult three. It's the most difficult one. Uh, we're inviting you uh, for 11 weeks to receive this heart. Super vulnerable, hey? Because there's no clever sermon 
or experience. We need the Holy Spirit to touch us, to consume us with his heart. We have, a, we have another corny slogan uh, called Believe for One. And we are inviting you this year to believe that you could lead one person to Christ and fold them into this community. The reason for that, the slogan's dumb, I get it. But the reason for that is if you would figure out how to lead one person to Christ, I think it would change your life, let alone theirs. I think it changed your life leading one person to Christ. Some of you struggle with addiction. Try this. You'll never get off it. Seeing somebody's life changed by the love of God. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Our greatest hope is that you would make disciples who make disciples, not because you became an obedient church member, but because you can't help yourself. You've been transformed by the living God. This is our hope. And finally, a method. Methods are the easiest part. Um, we have in our church a discipleship path, and if you hear us talk about transformations and multiply and D groups and communities, this is all, there's, there's just one agenda, and that's to help you find Jesus and to help you help other people find him. This last, this last uh, couple months, I finally finished writing a book on the process of change, and it's what the sermon series is going to be based on. I'm really looking forward to preaching that through with you. I've been working on this material for about 15 years now, and I haven't yet preached it in its entirety to you yet, and I can hardly wait to do that. But it's all about how it's a biblical model for how change actually works in our life and transforms us from the inside out so that our life isn't about behavior management. It's about heart transformation. And I, I just can hardly wait to go through this with you. Let me ask you in closing. This is our preparation, those three things we hope to give to you. But by the way, it's a, it's a feedback loop. So we hope to give it to you, and then we hope that you'll critique it to make it better and like that, right? It's, it, it, it's not static. None, none of those. In conclusion, are you part of a movement or a moment? You guys, do you just want to have a bunch of moments? Or do you want to be part of a movement? Do you want to just show up to a church and decide whether you like it or not? Or are you so desperate you might actually come to a church like this and say, I want to be part of a movement? I want to be part of lives transformed by the living God. I want to be part of that. I feel super inadequate. Don't have a clue what I'm doing. But you guys all look pretty inadequate too, so maybe we can figure this out together. And uh, are, do you want to be in on that? This is, a, this is an invitation to you to not see church as a moment, but as a movement. One of the things that we've been doing for the last uh, couple months 
is we have been, we haven't done this for a few years just because we want to make sure it's good news for you. We've been encouraging people to become members of our church. And uh, the reason is simple. It's just like a wedding where you, where you uh, express publicly and visibly what's in your heart. It's good for your heart to do that. If, again, if you text that number, you can just go to the membership. It's on there. Just fill it out. It's, it's not hard. But I think it might be good for your heart to say, I'm signing up for a movement. I want to be part of this thing. I can't promise that God isn't going to call me to another church or to another city. It's not about that. But right now, I'm here. This is my family. I know where home is. And I want to be part of something bigger than myself. I want you to know, worship team, you can come up. I want you to know that I'm honored to do this with you. To figure out something that hasn't been done, but that needs to be done. If there's something that strikes you in your heart, would you please stand with me? Father, there's something inside of us that wants to do something meaningful. And maybe for us that's uh, running a marathon or getting married or some kind of career. That's where we've set our sights. And those are good things, really good things. But Father, I pray today that you would capture our hearts with something of eternal significance. That you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would make us dissatisfied with anything less than people transformed by the gospel who see others transformed by that same message. Would you awaken our hearts in such a way that even if we are getting married and pursuing a career and running a marathon, that all of those things would be an expression of this transformation inside of our hearts that would affect every part of our life and every decision that we make. Father, we want to be part of a discipleship movement. We want to be part of what's transforming the nations around us. And we don't want to see Canada left out of that. We want to see it happen in our country, in our time, through regular people like us, that the Spirit of God would be so powerful as to move through you and I. Oh God, would you give us the grace to say yes and to struggle through the awkwardness of dreaming about something that can't be humanly accomplished. So we present ourselves to you this morning and we ask that you would make us bigger people, people with a bigger vision, bigger dreams, because we serve a bigger God. Oh,